Brothers and sisters, please be seated. Uh, in the last few years in chapel, I've aimed to preach all the way through 1 Timothy. Um, some of you may remember that, some of you may not at all. But now I'm up to chapter 5, at the beginning of verses 1 to 16. It's a great passage, so I'd love you to turn it up. I'm going to, bre- uh, to preach uh, briefly on it, and after that I've also asked Susan uh, to come and reflect on issues that arise from the passage uh, for us. So 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verses 1 to 16. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honour widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enrol younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows." Will you pray with me as we come to God's word? Father, we pray that you may speak to us by your spirit today. Uh, Help us to understand and take to heart what you have to say to us so that we may live for you and your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is a a deep joy and privilege to be part of a church family, isn't it? Because church is indeed a family. But when I say the church is a family, what does that mean? What, what images spring to mind for you? How do you feel about it? Uh, because what we hear and think and feel at this point is actually deeply affected by our experiences of our own natural families. I know some people who have had terrible family experiences and when they hear that church is a family, they run a million miles. It feels to them too much like some kind of controlling cult. I know others who've had terrible families too, but for them, the fact that church is a family is a beautiful thing. It's a place where uh, human needs, real human needs for love and respect are met, and where they can thrive and grow. And even uh, for those of us who've had pretty good families, we all tend to unconsciously import our past family experiences into the way that we relate to each other as church. Now, in this passage in 1 Timothy, Paul focuses on that 
family aspect of church. Church itself is like a family and church also interacts with our natural families. And this passage will help us to learn something about more about God's view of church and of families. It may challenge our own assumptions, but I'm sure it will encourage us to live and relate well with one another. Oh, I've got four points I'm going to draw out from this passage. Firstly, God's church is a family. That's both, both relational and ordered. Secondly, God's church family must especially honour its vulnerable members. And thirdly, God's church family affirms natural family relationships and obligations. And fourthly, God's church family needs realistic rules to truly care. So firstly, God's church is a family that's both relational and ordered. That's the gist of verses 1 and 2. See, Timothy is to treat older men respectfully as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. We're all to respect and love one another in church. But not all in exactly the same way. And here are the elements, the dimensions of age and gender affect how we relate to one another. Now, Paul isn't just saying this because he's some conservative Greek or Roman who happens to like conventional families of his time. No, absolutely not. For Paul, this all has to do with Jesus. It goes back to that central purpose statement in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, where, where Paul talks about church as a household, a family, a household, which supports that great truth about Jesus Christ, our saviour, Jesus Christ, our human mediator, who truly took on flesh and is now in glory. And that's, that's a really big thing in 1 Timothy. God's creation matters. When Jesus saves us, he doesn't amputate our lives from the regular relationships of this created order. He doesn't zap us into heaven. What he does is he brings us through these lives and this created order into salvation. And that's why the church is God's family. It's God's household. It's, it's about good and healthy and ordered relationships amongst different kinds of people. That's big in 1 Timothy. And so that means the church is both relational and ordered. And both those things matter. Church isn't, it's not a hippie commune <laughs> where all you need is love and, and the rest will just kind of work itself, itself out. <laughs> but on the other hand, church isn't, isn't a small business where all you need is, you know, leadership and pipelines and org charts and, you know, love will just sort itself out by itself. No, church is a place where we must love each other deeply while respecting and taking into account those real human dimensions. And the real human dimensions Paul mentions here particularly are age and gender. So to, to give one example, I want to say to men, how are you going at relating to your sisters here at college? And entirely equal, loved, value members of our college family. Which means honouring them, respecting them, respecting them as women, not just as one of the blokes, and being pure. But being pure doesn't mean dehumanising them by treating them as a threat to your purity, you know, avoiding them at all costs. I hope you wouldn't do that with your sister. Well, why would you do that with your Christian sister? You could ask the same of how you treat older men, older women, with, with, with honour and respect, and differently to the way that you treat younger men and younger women. And on that note, secondly, 
God's church family must especially honour its vulnerable members. That's the big point in verse 3. Paul makes a strong point about honouring widows. Now, at this point, Paul does also make a distinction. He talks about those who are truly widows, really widows. He's he's saying it's not just a a technical, mechanical definition of who a widow is, you know, a woman whose husband has died. He's using a a theological definition. He's he's using an Old Testament understanding uh, that applies in in the New Testament times uh, as well. In the ancient world, women generally relied on marriage and family for economic support. So widows generally were highly vulnerable and needed care and support. And that means that on the one hand, that what Paul says here is relevant beyond older women, isn't it? We, we could think of anyone in our church who is especially vulnerable. We could think about how this applies to, to people with disability, for example. And yet on the other hand, age and gender are still major factors. It's still a reality in our world. Women and the elderly are especially vulnerable. Domestic violence is not exclusively against women, but it is predominantly, statistically. After divorce, men come out better. And as for, as for age, well, the aged care sector is in major trouble, isn't it? And we know that in our Western society, there's an implicit, deep-seated bias against older people, which is socially acceptable and now is being encoded in euthanasia legislation. But God's family is to be different. God's family is to honour widows. Paul deliberately uses that word honour. He uses it later of elders as well in verse 17. He doesn't just say to care for these widows. He says to honour them. Honour isn't something that uh, Westerners are particularly good at thinking about. And honour here has two intertwined aspects. It involves both respect and tangible support together. So honour is not just a, th- a thing that has to do with vague feelings or words, you know, I honour you, but, uh, but it's not just, uh, not just about tangible support either, just that. It's not just about handouts. It's not just Centrelink. He's not just talking about that. It's about providing dignity and respect and a place for people, which involves providing for them as well. And that's what church can do better than any government payment can ever do. These widows, it seems, to be, to lo- uh, to be like the mothers of the church, Valued, members, respected, listened to, cared for. You know, it was a widow, uh, Mrs Rounds, who uh, was supported by her own church family in a local Baptist church uh, in my area who preached the gospel to me in a wonderful way and through whom I became a Christian uh, at my time in primary school. I'm so grateful for Mrs Round. And she was a spiritual mother to me. Very much. And to many others. I went to her funeral and it went on for about two hours because so many people came forward to talk about Mrs Round, the widow who was their spiritual mother in so many ways, who've led them to faith. So I want to cast your eyes over the people in your own church who are vulnerable. Especially think about the older women. Especially think about the widows. But think about others. How do you regard them? And how do you actually treat them? Is honour the first word that springs to your mind? So in the church, we should honour the vulnerable, and especially here, widows. But thirdly, God's church family affirms natural family relationships and obligations. That's Paul's key point in verses 4 and 8. If a widow has natural relatives who can provide her with that that honour and care, well, that is their responsibility. 
And yes, life is messy. It really is messy. In real life, people die. Families don't work. There's widows in real need. The church family does need to support. But at the same time, many families are functional enough to do it. And in that case, the church family doesn't replace these, these natural family obligations. If faith in Jesus doesn't, doesn't yoink you out of natural family responsibilities. You could be tempted to think that way, couldn't you? you know, I serve Jesus. My real family is my church. My elderly mum in the nursing home with no help. Well, she's somebody else's problem now. My family is the church. But if you think that way, well, don't think you're being Christian. Jesus saves us so that we can serve others, starting with our own families. True religion starts at home as Paul says here. And otherwise, we're worse than unbelievers. Now, I'm very aware as I say this that you might be hearing the Bible say something that it's not actually saying because I'm aware that some of you come from overly controlling families and, and cultures, perhaps, where families are turned into idols. This passage is abused. So I need to say honouring parents does not mean obeying their orders or pandering to their every desire. You only need to look at the many times in the gospel where Jesus himself prioritises God's word over the desires of his parents. Uh, Susan will be saying a little bit about that in a moment. But on the other hand, many of us are so affected by Western individualism that we really do need to hear this. Brothers and sisters, religion can never be used as a loophole to escape our responsibilities. Because that was exactly the Pharisees' sin in Mark chapter 7, wasn't it? As they tried to wriggle out of the command to honour your father and mother. They used their devotion to God to avoid what God actually said. And God's judgment against them, Jesus' judgment against them was severe. So it is worth asking yourself, is there a legitimate uh, responsibility to your natural family that you may be in danger of neglecting right now? What do you need to do about it? But let's come back to the church family as it cares for widows because we see something else in this passage, don't we? Fourthly, God's church family needs realistic rules to truly care. Uh, that's what in verses 9 to 13, Paul sets out a policy for those who should be honoured in this way in the church. Positively, verses 9 to 10, he gives concrete examples about those with a, record of tra a track record of good works with their families and with others. In verse 11 to 13, negatively, he talks about younger widows and he says that natural families are a more appropriate place for them to be honoured in this way. And these policies are specific, and they're very concrete and they're real and you can see they involve generalisations and they involve consequences. So what do we do with them? Because we could be tempted just to ignore them, couldn't we? Since after all, they're so specific, aren't they? You know, how could they possibly apply to us today? But this is God's word to us. We, we can't just ignore it. I'm not saying we need to slavishly follow these rules to the letter because that's not what Paul's point here. He's, what he's doing here is he's joining the dots between theology and what actually happens concretely on the ground. He does that elsewhere as well. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, for example. And we learn from this that God's church family needs concrete, realistic rules to truly care. Why is that? Well, firstly, because it's basic human wisdom. God's created us as human beings, placed us in specific situations. We need to live wisely together. That includes rules, policies for our communities. If we neglect those, we neglect people. If we just rely constantly on spontaneous or random acts of kindness to ensure people are looked after, then people do get left out. 
But secondly, we need these specific policies because of human sin. Christians believe in sin. We know that without clear rules, generosity can be abused. We can look for loopholes. And when that happens, it's not just a burden on the church. It's ultimately bad for the people themselves because they're not then truly honoured and respected. They're just living a life that's not really a life, as Paul says in verse 6. But when policies like this are followed, true honour is restored. Families and relationships work. If Paul wants these younger women to have a truly honourable place in their homes. Now, so the Greek verb, verse 14, you've done third years, oikodespotain, govern the house, he's saying. It's a situation of dignity and honour. And that is true in our world. We don't honour mothers very much, do we? We think about motherhood either as servitude or as indulgence, as not real work, something slightly embarrassing, something we have to keep qualifying to make it worthy of some kind of respect. But motherhood here for God really matters. It's absolutely real work. It's a management role, do you see, worthy of great dignity and honour. It's not the only work for women. That's, that's, not, the, that's not the point here. But the point of these words of Paul is to strengthen and honour families. So what have we seen? God's church is a family that's both relational and ordered, that honours its most vulnerable members, but also affirms natural family relationships. And to do that, we need realistic rules. Now I'd like to ask my dear sister in Christ, Susan, to share with us some further reflections on these things. Thanks, Susan. Thanks, Lionel. Um, family is messy, church is messy, and life is messy. As we heard this pre sermon preached, I'm sure that there were many exceptions or different things that your mind was running off into as we were thinking about this. But I think it's important to hold on to these principles when you're uh, uh, working out how to apply the good things that God has taught us in a really sinful world. The premise of this passage is wonderful. The goodness of God in creating families and households, both natural and church families. And they offer so much in terms of relationships, encouragement, love and support. And many of us have had wonderful experiences in both places and learnt so much about life, people and God in them. Certainly within my own natural and church family, they weren't simply places where knowledge about God was just downloaded onto me, but actual places where I saw God's people wrestle with the ups and downs of life and taught me so much about God and the Christian life. And I can't imagine doing my Christian life without them. And I pray that this too has been your own experience within your households. But I do want to reflect on two examples um, of how these principles were and were not applied within both natural and church families. And I want to emphasise that applying this passage well is going to look so different for everybody in every situation as I share these situations. So first, within natural families. I know that some of you would be aching right now as at Paul's urge to look after your families because some of you are physically distant from your family. Some of you are emotionally distant, and some of you have unbelieving families. And some of you may even have history of abuse within your family, and it's just not safe for you to be around them. 
So I've been part of a Christian setting where for a variety of reasons, the grown-up children were more, more spiritually mature than the parents. And so whilst it was a joy for them that their parents were Christians at all, passages like these were abused. Uh, parents demanded obedience at all costs, even beyond what God has asked of them, and threw the children's faith in their faces when they even pushed back slightly. And in some cultural backgrounds, passages like this can cause parents to demand their children to not go into ministry, demand that they marry someone of their own standards and not God's standards, and demand that they choose certain career paths and demand that they bring the family honour in a very narrow and specific way. And if there is any hint of pushback, they point to these passages in the Bible and say, aren't you a Christian person? Why aren't you obeying me like God asks you to? So in situations like this, it takes real wisdom and prayer to work out what it means to honour and not obey your parents. And in some cases, the best outworking of this passage may not be to obey your parents, but actually honour them and to do that from a distance. And maybe not to look after your parents in the way that this passage asks. And so for those of you that are in this situation, I do want to acknowledge you and express my grief that that's been your experience of family. And please know that you're not alone and that God has provided you with a heavenly family where he himself is your father. And to lean into this spiritual family and that you may find healing within God's family. Second, a church family. Now, I've been privileged to witness a true spiritual family for a dear sister in Christ, where 1 Timothy 5 was a very much lived out reality for her. So I want to tell you about Chris. She's an older lady who had married later in life to a man who had grown up children, and they had no children of their own. Her husband passed away before her. So on paper, Chris should have been a lonely old woman without any support. She was husbandless, childless, and her expectation of the life would be of isolation and loneliness. But those words, as I picture her in my mind, couldn't be further from the truth in describing Chris. Uh, when Chris was initially diagnosed with, and she did subsequently die from cancer, I had the joy of visiting her in hospital. When I got there, she was already busy because there was another visitor there who was showing her how to download onla uh, online sermons for her to listen to while she was in hospital. Um, I kept on trying to talk to her, but her phone was buzzing constantly from her many friends that were calling and texting her to see how she was. And at her funeral, I found out that she had unofficially adopted two families into her life. And she was their grandmother in every sense of the word, because she attended their dance recitals, ballet recitals, band, band rehearsals, graduations, birthday parties, and baptisms. And her grandchildren played and sang at her funeral, and her funeral out, um, uh, book was filled with pictures of her surrounded by her children and grandchildren. Now, I don't believe that her, this families, these two families looked after her financially, but they looked after with the love and encouragement and support 
that this passage called us to be a true household of Christ. And so I want to finish up by saying that there are many, many ways to live out this passage. And I've just given you two examples. And so the answer is actually not going to look the same for everybody. But we do know that God's heart and desire for this matter is so very clear. And so keep praying for each other. Work this out. Do the hard work in grace and love. And be part of and create households that reflect and shine the love and grace of God.